right, welcome back, everybody. Hour number two is here. We are glad to have you listening to the program. Thanks for joining us. I hope you will enjoy it. Yeah, we're cranking it up for you for hour number two. Uh, you know who I am, Tony Bean, and you know what I do, North Greenville University, South Carolina Baptist Convention, and Five Forks Baptist Church. That's where um, my gifts and abilities given by God are currently being used. Phillip's on the phone. Kicks us off for the second hour. Philip, go ahead. Good morning. You mentioned Mr. Phillips and uh, his bravery. You know, it reminds me of Revelation 21. Many characteristics are listed in the Bible, but in Revelation 21, they have a listing, and they say that um, the cowardly will not inherit the kingdom of God. My prayer is that there will be, first of all, in myself, if and when the time comes, I will be able to stand. Because basically, uh, I'm a coward. Uh, According to a lot of the brave people I have seen uh, over my lifetime, but uh, since I've been saved, I'm less so. But I think when God says the cowardly, unbelieving, uh, we need to make sure that we no longer have that ability to go to cowardice, because that is one thing that is death to God's people. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate you making that point. Uh, look, I'm chief, as as Paul, the Apostle Paul said, he was chief among sinners. Uh, I'm chief among cowards. I can be. Just the potential is there, I think, for all of us to be intimidated, uh, to be berated. I mean, when it's one thing when people just say things, you know. It's another when they come after you with the full force of state government or the federal government or, you know. And that's, that's another reason why I keep Jack Phillips' picture on my desk. I need to be reminded of what courage looks like as a believer. And I need to be motivated every day to make sure that I'm ready, Philip, just like you said, that I'm ready if, if that day comes to me. I mean, and I, I look, I don't, I'm, I'm not kidding myself. I expect it will at some point. If I keep taking the stands that I take, if I keep preaching the Word of God, if I keep coming here, uh, opening this microphone, and telling the truth about what God says about sexuality, about abortion, about a lot of issues, um, then eventually, you know, I <laughs> it'll it'll probably go from m- not just people yelling and being angry and pushing back, and it could I could face something like Phillips is facing, and I want to be ready. I mean, I I want to be sure that I stay humble. I, I want to follow his example because he hasn't been angry. He hasn't lashed out. That's what fascinates me about Christianity, about the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the fruit of the Spirit to bear when we are at just a, a terrible point. I mean, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those all those things are available to every believer because every person who has come to Jesus Christ as Savior has the Holy Spirit empowered, living in you, to give you the strength that you need every day to demonstrate those characteristics. And when I put on the spiritual armor during my prayer time 
in the mornings, and I, I try to do that every day because I just have this picture of the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, and the sword of the Spirit. I, I want to have those in my possession, and then on top of that, I want the fruit of the Spirit to be seen by everybody that I come in contact with. And I don't always, <laughs> you know, you think I'm going to sit here and say, I always demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Well, I get frustrated. I get impatient. I get angry. But I try to remember when those things happen. I, I go to God and ask him to strengthen me, to fill me, and to use me in a way that brings glory to him. And part of that is being prepared to stand up for your beliefs when the pressure gets turned up. Um, and speaking of that, I, I wanted to follow up on that story that you heard from Salem at the top of the hour about NHL Pride Night and the New York Rangers. This is the story from, it's a Discreet News, I think is the name of it, or is it? Well, it's D-E-S-E-R-E-T, Deseret. That's not desert. That's not dessert. So it's Deseret News, I guess. Just It's the first one that came up. Um, but the Rangers promoted Pride Night to fans by saying players will be showing their support by donning Pride-themed warm-up jerseys and tape and, and tape and solidarity with those who continue to advocate for inclusivity. Instead, the team wore their Liberty Head jerseys in warm-ups. The jersey's mysterious absence was notable given what occurred during the earlier Pride Night event hosted by the Philadelphia Flyers on January 17th. And, of course, we talked about that at length on the program. Ivan Provorov who was a defensiveman for the Flyers, declined to wear a Pride-themed warm-up jersey because of his religious beliefs. So, when faced with pushback, the New York Rangers organization chose not to give a specific reason for abandoning, abandoning its jersey and rainbow tape-related plans. Instead, it released a statement expressing support for the LGBTQ community and for everyone's right to express their beliefs. Quote, our organization respects the LGBTQ plus community, and we're proud to bring attention to important local community organizations as part of another great Pride Night. In keeping with our organization's core values, we support everyone's individual right to respectfully express their beliefs. The Rangers' remark did not satisfy some of the team's critics, including NYC Pride, an LGBTQ rights organization that took part in Pride Night. In a statement to ESPN, NYC uh, Pride said that it would continue to talk with the Rangers and the NHL about what meaningful allyship really means. Can I tell you what it means? Can I just explain it to you real, real simple? Lean in because I don't want you to miss this. Allyship with the LBGTQ community means you do exactly what they say or you're a bigot and a homophobe. So it doesn't matter. You can put out a statement saying that they've got the right to believe as they do. But if you don't come after, if you don't join them in coming after people that disagree and undermining them and discrediting them, the people that disagree, then that you're not going to get our support. Because allyship means worship. It means full acquiescence. It means follow me no matter what, do exactly what I say, 
or we're going to fall on you like a ton of bricks. That's what it means. Now, do I have any hope that the NHL is going to stick to that? Very little because of the pressure that can be brought to bear. And most people are not Jack Phillips. Most people are not the owner of Patriot Mobile either, by the way. Patriot Mobile is, they describe themselves as a Christian alternative for mobile plans. In other words, you know, Verizon, AT&T, all these big companies, they're, they're fully woke. They're, and, and I know that. understand that. Patriot Mobile is not. Glenn Story is the CEO, and he made it clear that even though he's in a firestorm right now, and for what? He donated $1,500 worth of pizza to the local police force. He said, I'm, I'm, we're going to support law enforcement, so we want to honor them by giving this certificate out there where police officers can take part, come get a pizza. And there was so much pushback and yowling about it that the police force decided they, they were going to take the gift certificate and give it to another group, another needy group. Here's, here's the statement that they made. Within 48 hours, the police department backpedaled and said it would donate the gift to a true need and review its rules for accepting such gifts. In other words, we, we're going to make sure that we vet everybody that gives us a gift. Um, and people like Patriot Mobile, who support us, I mean, how dare they support us, the, the evil police? How, how ridiculous is that? This is the police saying that it's wrong to support the police. Because that's basic. Of course, Patriot Mobile also has a political action division that got a bunch of conservatives elected to school boards. Now, there's the real problem. The real problem is we can't have a company that doesn't tow the LGBTQ plus line, and we certainly can't have a company that's putting money into conservatives running for school boards because if, if we can't take over and have total influence over your children, um, our agenda can't prevail. So here's another guy. My desk is going to get crowded. Glenn Story deserves to have his picture on there, too, because he said, basically, he said, we expect the attacks because we stand up for what we believe in. We're going to keep donating to the police. We're still going to support first responders. He just said very simply, I'm not going to be bullied. And if more people would do that, again, back to this whole thing about not being a coward, but be willing, being willing to take a stand, kudos to Jack Phillips to Glenn's story, and to every other born-again believer today who takes a stand for the truth and makes it, makes it stick. Take a stand, make it stick. Okay, we need to, we need to uh, talk about ESG. Most of you probably already know what that is. It's environmental social uh, governance. And it's, it's basically the woke world trying to make everybody woke through corporations, through lending policies, through investment decisions. I mean, rather than trying to pass something through Congress or to just berate people one at a time into becoming woke, 
uh, the decision's been made by the Biden administration to use its influence through by changing rules that would force the corporate world, those who are unwilling, um, and the investment world to line up with a fully woke, protect the environment, uh, go with LGBTQ rights, uh, that type of, of agenda that you have to agree. Just like we were talking about earlier with this gay pride group out of New York that's basically telling the New York Rangers, uh, we appreciate your statement supporting us, but let us explain to you what it means to support us. Um, and this is essentially what's happening in the corporate and investment world. Well, there's pushback. There's significant pushback. And there's a possibility that, uh, you know, there, there's actually going to be something to come of this with this pushback. I, I'm, I'm actually more encouraged about it than I have been. But here's the story. This is coming from the Daily Signal. Resistance to environmental, social, corporate governance investing is taking center stage in a number of Republican-leaning state legislative sessions this year. We're, of course, we've got bills in the South Carolina House and Senate that would uh, seek to protect South Carolina and to make sure that we're not, as a state, investing in um, investment houses like BlackRock that is basically totally woke. Um, and to make sure that they, I mean, a lot of states have already, Texas, I think, well, I know Texas, let's leave it at Texas. I know Texas has pulled out of any investments that have anything to do with BlackRock, which is one of the largest investment funds in the country. So, but now you've got 25 attorneys general who have signed off on a lawsuit to stop ESG as being a standard for investing. The standard for investing in 401ks and anybody's retirement for any corporation should be what makes the most financial sense. It should be how can we financially do best for the people that we're trying to provide for their retirement, retirement. not how can we make a statement of wokeness to the rest of the world and a lot of investment analysts are looking at this and saying, hey, they're normal, everyday people that are losing money out of their retirement accounts because these companies are that manage a lot of this wealth are deciding to put money toward, for example, green energy programs that are not going to give any kind of a return, or at least not now. Now, the Biden administration argues that this is a good thing because in the long run, the green companies are going to win. And so people's investment that's going in there is going to eventually grow as these as we shift to a more green energy country. Well, first of all, we don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, it's going to happen if the Biden administration forces it on everybody. But if we get a political change and it goes back to a choice for the American people instead of coercion by the government, then there's a good possibility these green companies are not going to go anywhere, and people are going to lose a lot of their retirement money. And the decision is not being made in what's best for them. It's being made as in what does the best for these woke ideologies. 
There are currently two similar pieces of model legislation designed for states to achieve this goal, the American Legislative Exchange Council State Government Employee Retirement Protection Act. Write that on a matchbook. And the Heritage Foundation State Pension Fiduciary Duty Act. To date, legislators in six states have introduced fiduciary duty legislation, and at least as many more are expected to do so soon. But the big deal is that there are 25 states that are pushing back in a lawsuit, and you've got all Republicans plus, now we know, one Democrat, as you might guess, Joe Manchin from the state of West, West Virginia. I mean, coal, uh, fossil fuels, that's a big part of West Virginia's economy. And they're essentially trying to put a whole lot of people out of business in West Virginia. So Joe Manchin has signed on with all Republicans to pass legislation in the Senate that would stop these rules from going into effect because the new rules that the Biden administration Labor Department is putting into a, or it's not labor I think it's commerce anyway the new rules that are going into effect January the 30th which they just did uh, those new rules are are going to force companies investment companies to use woke standards in order to invest people's money in 401ks and other retirement situations so you've got the lawsuit, 25 states, red states, and then you've got this legislation in the Senate, and all they got to do is pick off one or two more senators. I mean, right now, picking off Joe Manchin because we lost a seat in the Senate in the midterms, that doesn't mean anything. That means it's 50-50. You got 49 Republicans, one Democrat, there's 50, then you got 50 Democrats, and people who caucus with the Democrats that, are, that say they're no longer Democrats, but they support the Democrat mantra, if the vote comes down to 50-50, Kamala Harris breaks the tie, the, vote, the legislation is defeated. If you pick off another Democrat or two, you pass the legislation, it goes to the House where it passes, and then, of course, President Biden will veto it. And they won't have the votes to override a veto. So the lawsuit is the best path. I mean, it, it, it really, and it should prevail. I mean, you're talking about rules that are telling investment houses to not be make the best decisions that are available for their clients, but to make the decisions that are the most woke, even if that loses money for their client in their retirement portfolios. Now, that's mostly for state governments, the federal government. Um, if you're a federal employee, forget it. You have no shot. They're going to do this to you. Your investments are going to be behind uh, wind power, solar power, and LGBTQ, whatever they can come up with. And I don't know that a lawsuit by the, state, by the states is going to change that for the federal government, but it may change it for these other investment houses if they're able to prevail. And again, because of the legislative makeup right now, because President Biden's got the, pow the power of the veto, and, he and he's going to go to the mat for this. I mean, he is the most liberal, he's the most progressive left-wing president that we've had in my lifetime. Easy. 
and he may be up for the award for the last century and a half because he is towing. He, he ran as a moderate, which was a lie, because he tows the progressive party line at every turn. And these new rules are the latest evidence that that's the case. Uh, for those of you who may not be tuned in to ESG or you haven't been paying attention to it or you don't even know, what is ESG? Is it ESPN spinoff? What is it? No. Uh, again, ESG is environmental social governance. And it requires the consideration of environmental issues and social issues, not conservative social issues, mind you, but left-wing social issues and the support of those when you're talking about investments, particularly for state and federal government employees. So let me just read a little bit of this from the Daily Signal today, and I think it'll help you get a better picture. Andy Puzder is writing all this. He says, this is not an arcane legal issue. Millions of Americans work for state and local governments. Most of those workers depend on their state pensions for support in retirement. Their pensions are largely funded by returns on investments that asset managers make on their behalf. Maximizing those returns is critical as unfunded state pension liabilities total over $8 trillion, according to ALEC analysis from last June. It's difficult enough to maximize those returns when other objectives take priority. It's close to an economic certainty that the returns will suffer. So state, federal obligations, eight trillion, uh, well, let me back up, not federal, just unfunded state pension obligations, eight trillion dollars across the country. And so investments, to, to have any hope of giving people who are in state-funded and uh, pension plans a hope of being able to get their retirement, they've got to be able to invest in areas that are most profitable, not those that make the best woke statement. That's why the law has long required, I'm back to the article now, that's why the law has, the law has long required those investing funds on behalf of others focus solely on the financial interests of the beneficiaries of such funds. However, what that means in practice can be less clear than one might assume. For example, does a state pension fund asset manager violate its fiduciary duty by investing in a company and then pressuring it to reduce its carbon emissions? If doing so, will lower that company's profits and the pension fund returns. Last August 19th, Red State Attorneys General took the position that it was a violation. In a letter to Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, the attorneys general stated that investor returns must be a fiduciary's sole focus and that BlackRock was sacrificing those returns to advance its net zero carbon emissions agenda. Now, and at the time, 14 other states, well, Blue states launched a website taking the exact opposite position, supporting BlackRock and criticizing red states for failing to acknowledge long-term risk or that climate change is real. That's not the point. It doesn't matter whether red states think climate change is real or not. The question is, will these investment houses that are responsible for all these pension returns 
Will they make fiduciary decisions based on what's best for the investor, or are they going to push a woke agenda? And if they push a woke agenda, a lot of people are going to lose money in their pension funds. To put an even finer edge on it, the models restrict consideration of events that involve a high degree of uncertainty regarding what may or may not occur in the distant future and are systemic, general, or not investment-specific in nature. Say, for example, climate change and the assumption that net zero emission goals will mitigate it. That This is what Heritage Foundation and these 25 red states are trying to get back to. The, the idea of sole interest, and the idea of sole interest has nothing to do with investment based on speculation of what the climate's going to do. It has to do with investment on what returns are going to look like. So, anyway, this is, this is it. The, the 25 red states, I think, have the best shot. I'm, I'm encouraged that every Republican in the Senate, plus... Um, Joe Manchin is pushing legislation to change the rules, but it's it's not going to go anywhere. They got to pick off another senator or two. Likely, I mean, th- those that are observing this think that Cinema uh, and maybe a couple of other Democrats are really uncomfortable with this, particularly ones in red states that are going to come up for election in 2024. Um, and so they, they they may pick off a few. And with even with a slim Republican majority in the House, anything that would undermine these rules and take them off the table is going to pass in the House. But it's going to get vetoed. So the courts may be our best remedy for this. All right. Were you going to say something? Well, I was going to say, if you think it's just for investors and that type of thing, this thing can come down to individuals because banks are also being pressured on this. Right, right. And if you decide, hey, I, I, I support a uh, gun manufacturer, well, the bank may decide right. we don't want your business. Right. And suddenly you're out. And, and so it can affect people in so many ways that well, we don't even think about it right now until it hits you and you go, how did this happen? Yeah, banks, uh, Wells Fargo has been involved in this for a long time. Banks are uh, trying to put gun manufacturers out of business. They're trying to cut off their funding. They're lend, they won't lend to gun manufacturers. And, of course, every business that's out there occasionally has to go get a loan um, for capital improvements or, you know, they, they've got to come up with a, a, a way to get additional money. And usually they go to the bank, get a loan, pay it off, no problem, especially if they have a high credit rating. But now banks are making decisions based on, oh, no, 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 you're a gun manufacturer. We don't like guns. So we're not going to lend you the money because we don't want to assist in, 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 in the gun trade. I mean, that's kind of stuff is, is, is happening. Uh, it's, and now, right now, is it uh, seriously curtailing gun manufacturers? No, because there are enough lending institutions out there that actually evaluate whether the, when they make a loan based on whether or not there's a likelihood that it gets paid back with interest. That's how a bank makes money. Plus, as it invests its money, the money. So, you know, right now it's not, but it doesn't mean that in the future it wouldn't become a major issue. And for some manufacturers it may be. 
But so far, most have been able to find alternative funding. Well, one place that the Second Amendment appears to be healthy at the moment is the state of Illinois. And that might surprise you because the state of Illinois is not a bastion of conservative thought. But the state of Illinois lost an appeal on Tuesday after a lower court judge issued a restraining order on a newly enacted ban on some semi-automatic rifles as well as high-capacity magazines. They're trying to, they tried to pass a law in Illinois against owning an assault weapon. That's the, the big term, phrase. It's, it's, it's nonsense. Any weapon can be used in an assault and characterizing it as an assault weapon is a way to hijack the language to scare, you know, the pants off of people that don't understand a lot about guns. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker signed the gun control law on January 10th, which bans the sale and distribution of assault weapons, high-capacity magazines, and switches, which went into effect immediately after he approved it. Effingham County Judge Joshua Morrison issued a temporary restraining order against the law on January 24th, preventing it from being enforced. Morrison's ruling came in response to a lawsuit from four gun merchants and 850 individuals who argued that the law was enacted improperly and didn't have proper public input, adding that the law violated the state and U.S. Constitution's Equal Protection Clause in providing exemptions for some groups of people based on their occupation or training. For example, people who are active or retired law enforcement are excluded from the ban. Morrison said in his ruling that the plaintiffs are being immediately and irreparably harmed each day in which their fundamental right to bear arms is being denied. After an appeal from Illinois Attorney General Kwame Roel, Illinois' 5th District Appellate Court ruled on Tuesday in a two-to-one decision that the temporary restraining order can stay in place and also extends it statewide. So they went to court. Previously, the restraining order only applied to the plaintiffs. It was narrow. Now that they've gone back to court and raised Cain about it, the Fifth Circuit says, oh, okay, well, we'll just expand it for you to cover everybody in the state because the likelihood of you of them winning this lawsuit is definitely good. The ruling states that the plaintiffs had a likelihood of success on the merits in regards to their argument that the law violates the state and U.S. Constitution's Equal Protection Clause. Illinois is also facing several other lawsuits challenging the law, including one from the National Rifle Association. So there you go. Second Amendment still winning in the courts right now. Um, and we can hope that religious liberty, the First Amendment, and the Second Amendment can continue to win in our court system. And we need to thank our founding fathers every day. I mean, I know we can't thank them, literally, but we need to remember their contribution. Had the, had the Bill of Rights not been passed, can you imagine where we'd be? I mean, everybody's gun would be confiscated. You'd be forced to, uh, you wouldn't be allowed to worship according to your conscience. I mean, our, our founders were pretty smart, pretty smart in the way that they went about their business. I don't know if they could see in the future. I doubt they thought we'd ever face anything like this, but they were wise enough to know that humanity has the capacity 
to take away people's rights, and particularly government. When, when a government becomes powerful, it can, it can run your life if you don't have protections that are built into the way the government works. Our founders did that, and we should be thankful. Okay, I'm trying to find President Biden's um, statement yesterday. Apparently, it's been taken down. I had it uh, queued up and ready to go, and literally, it disappeared off Twitter. I mean, I went, I went back, and it's it's not available anymore. But here, here's the story. This is what happened. President Biden cited both U.S. Catholic bishops and Pope Francis in defense of federally funded abortions, despite both the bishops and the pontiffs' consistent and vocal opposition to the practice. Biden, a Catholic, fielded questions from the press outside the White House on Monday during which a reporter grilled the president on the continued complaints of Catholic leadership regarding abortion funding. Catholic bishops, here's the question, or the statement, Catholic bishops are demanding that federal tax dollars not fund abortions, a reporter said to Biden outside the White House on Monday. No, they are not all doing that, nor is the Pope doing that, Biden replied. Well, here's a letter that the United States Conference of Bishops published Friday to the House of Representatives. So let me just read some of this to you, and you decide what the bishops said. Quote, Protecting taxpayers from being forced to pay for abortion in violation of their conscience is a principle that has enjoyed historically broad support among Americans, regardless of their otherwise passionately divided views on the topic. It has also been life-saving, said Bishop Burbage in the letter. Rather than funding abortion— Congress can, do, can better serve the common good by prioritizing policies that comprehensively assist women, children, and families in need in ways that will not only encourage childbirth, but make it easier to welcome and raise a new child. The No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act, which has also been supported by USCCB in previous sessions of Congress, would make longstanding prohibitions on federal funding of elective abortions permanent, they're in favor of that. This is the Catholic bishops' statement. President Biden says, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. They, they're, they're not all in favor of it. Yes, they are. That's just not true, Mr. President. And so we, we can also take a look at what Pope Francis has said about that. Pope Francis has been not the most conservative pope, shall we say, but on abortion, he's been pretty clear. He's compared abortion to hiring a hitman and said humanity should leave killing to the animals. Last year, Pope Francis was interviewed by Univision and was questioned about Biden's seemingly contradictory beliefs. When asked about Biden, a self-professed devout Catholic who supports blanket legalization of abortion on the federal level, the Pope dismissed the president as incomprehensible. Quote, I leave it to President Biden's conscience and that he speaks to his bishop, his pastor, his parish priest about his incoherence. That's what the Pope said. So for Biden to say that the Pope has not come out against taxpayer-funded abortions and to say that the Catholic bishops hasn't in an angry retort to a reporter who simply stated to him the observable facts— is either, it, it's one of two things, okay? There's no third option. Number one, it's a lack of character on his part because he doesn't care about the truth. He cares more 
about his agenda than he does the truth about his own faith, or it's a sign of his senility that he's just not all there and he's answering questions in a way that doesn't reflect reality. And I'll let you decide that. I mean, I, you know, but it can't be anything other than that because I've just demonstrated to you the position of the Catholic bishops and the Pope, and Biden's comments are directly opposed to those. Uh, Not just opposed, but completely different. Okay, Supreme Court has granted review in a case on employees' religious rights. Hallelujah. You know, we need precedence. We need Supreme Court decisions protecting religious liberty in every area, whether we're talking about a person who's protecting their own business, like Jack Phillips, or you've got a person like the person in this case, Groff versus DeJoy, the petitioner, Gerald Groff, has asked the justices to determine whether his employer, the U.S. Postal Service, is required to provide a religious accommodation, excusing him from work so that he may observe the Sabbath on Sundays. He's a Christian, and he wants to not be forced to work on Sunday because of his religious beliefs. And so, you know, uh, the other case that's going to be before the Supreme Court, and it's not Jack Phillips, I've I don't have the name right in front of me, but it's another business owner that is defending their right to religious liberty, then that's a business owner. This is an employee. This is just a guy. He works for the post office. He he shows up and does his job every day, and the post office wants to say to him, oh, no, you can't observe Sunday. They originally made a co- accommodation, which is interesting. Um. Groff argues that he firmly believes he must, as Exodus 28 put it, puts it, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. When the Postal Service began delivering packages on Sundays for Amazon, it initially accommodated Groff by exempting him from the delivery so that he could observe the Sabbath. But a few years later, the Postal Service withdrew Groff's religious accommodation. Can, can we just go ahead and admit what happened here? Joe Biden got elected president and brought his left-wing agenda with him, okay? This is, and, it, and it's affecting the post office policy. A uh, few, few years later, post office service withdrew Groff's religious accommodation and replaced it with an arrangement that regularly asked Groff to violate his conscience by working every Sunday when he could not find a replacement. Groff sued under the Title Eight, excuse me, Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act which prohibits discrimination because of such individuals' race, color, religion, sex, or national or national origin. Subsection J of Title VII defines religion to include all aspects of religious observance and, observance and practice, as well as belief, unless an employer demonstrates that he's unable to reasonably accommodate an employee's religious observance or practice without undue hardship on the conduct of the employer's business. There's no way the United States Post Office can say that it's an undue hardship for them to accommodate somebody who wants to worship on Sunday. They they can reschedule, restructure, and they're supposed to give religious accommodation. 
This is another right that American Christians have that the left wants to take away. I mean, I, I wish that wasn't the case, but here we have another person who's standing up for that right, Gerald Groff, and put his picture up there next to the owner of Patriot Mobile and Jack Phillips. Like I said, you're going to need some more desk space. But these people need our prayers. Um, you know, they need they need our support. We need to pay attention to this. How much hardship is considered undue hardship? Well, in 1977, in Trans World Airlines versus Hardison, you got as TWA. Remember when we used to have TWA? The Supreme Court concluded that an employer suffers undue hardship in accommodating an employee's religious exercise whenever doing so would require the employer to bear more than a de minimis cost. This de minimis language doesn't appear anywhere in Title VII, but, is the, but in the Hardison case, the high court read it into the statute anyway. The plain language of undue hardship, which is found in the statute, has a clear and workable meaning. In fact, that precise language has been used in other statutory contexts, such as the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Uniform Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act. These statutes never have been read to include a more than a de minimis cost standard, and the Hardison standard was, has heavily weighted the scales in favor of the employer and against religious employees for decades. So what Groff is trying to do is change that. He's, he's doing this for all employees who are religious, that have deeply held beliefs, and that want to practice them and not be inhibited by their employer or lose their job because of it. So we need to pray for him. It's another Supreme Court case that we're going to be following very closely. All right, that's all the time we're going to have for today. We've got about a minute left, so I'll just give you a little preview of what we're going to talk about tomorrow. Um, we're going to get into the blitzkrieg that's been launched against Bill Barr and John Durham, and it's only beginning. The New York Times has decided to make it their, their mission uh, to undermine Barr and Durham before Durham's final report comes out about the Russian collusion mess. They're, they're going to, you know, they want to set the stage. They want to discredit and smear both of these men so that you won't pay any attention to the report once it hits. Um, so the other, other story turns out the FBI searched President Biden's office at Penn Biden Center months ago. You know, we were told about all this cooperation with President Biden. Well, the FBI was involved from the beginning. They just didn't want you to know it. We'll talk about that tomorrow as well, plus whatever else is in the news. Have a great day. God bless you.